Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Everything Aviation Podcast. Uh, we are back and we are back with a bang. My guest today is a Red Bull Air Race and Red Bull Air Force legend with two World Series to his name in the Red Bull Air Race and with 10 race wins also. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Kirby Shambliss. Kirby, how are we? I'm doing great. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all now. Thank you so much for talking to us. This is amazing. It's like a celebrity here in front of me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Kirby, there's a lot of people ask, because you, you, you've done so much within your, your aviation career, but it had to start somewhere. How did you get into to aviating? You know, it's kind of funny. I mean, so I always tell people I felt like I was really fortunate. I mean, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, you know, one, I always knew what I wanted to do. And number two, I was born in the U.S. And I've always felt like, you know, um, if you're willing to put the effort in and sacrifice, you can be anybody you want to be. So all I really had to do was go out and just try to figure out how to do it. But, you know, there's pictures of me when I was two years old dragging airplanes around. I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a pilot. I never wanted to be anything else. That's brilliant. And, and what, when, when did you start that, that journey? How old were you when you eventually started to fly? Uh, you know, probably, I mean, I flew with my dad. My dad was a private pilot and we, we built an airplane. I mean, you know, how when you're a teenager, you know everything, right? So my dad, he brings this sheet metal trailer, um, you know, basically brings a U-Haul trailer full of sheet metal home and says, this is an airplane. And I was like, yeah, right. And then a year later, he flew it. But I bucked all the rivets and the fuselage and everything. And so I got to fly in that a little bit with him. And, uh, you know, it, it just, just, like I said, I just had to go figure out how to do it. But I probably started my formal training at about 16 years of age. And, um, you know, I, I got a few hours, but then I couldn't afford it. So then I ended up putting it off for a couple more years before I really got going on it. Brilliant. And how did you, after you've achieved that, at what point are you starting to look at aerobatics? Because that seems to be, we'll come to that in a minute, but that seems to be the main thing of what you do now. Exactly. You know, so, I mean, um, I guess, you know, I was really lucky. When I was 21, I was flying a business jet for La Quinta Motor Ends, and our chief pilot was a really smart guy. And he said, hey, if this jet ever ends up upside down with the CEO on board, we want you to be able to fix it without killing everyone. I'm 21. I'm like, well, sounds like a great idea to me. So they paid for my aerobatic training. We went out in an aerobatic airplane, turned it upside down. And with just the fact we could fly upside down, I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. I've already kind of been bored with straight and level flying anyway. And then just my whole life changed really at that point. And that's all I wanted to do was fly aerobatics. I still had to go and get the airline job and all that in order to pay for my new habit, which was aerobatics. But quite frankly, it was all I cared about was aerobatics. That's amazing. And it, it literally, it was, it was that guy that said to you, oh, what would you do if this turned upside down? And he effectively started you on this massive career. What a guy. A hundred percent. And I mean, it's really smart. And people are always thinking, you know, that you got into it from a safety standpoint, you know, and uh, exactly. I mean, again, you know, they recognize that, you know, you're going to be a better pilot if you've been in all the different attitudes than if you've never been there before, you know. So uh, they recognize that. Chief pilot, like I said, Jerry Anderson, smart guy. And he took all of his, all of his pilots got aerobatic training and I just fell in love with it. That's so, so cool. And then how did, because you've, as, as we said at the start, you've got two Red Bull Air Race World Series on your belt and 10 race wins. How did you end up falling into Red Bull effectively and getting into air racing? Because that is the pinnacle of the whole thing. 
So I'd done a lot of World Grand Prix. I was on the U.S. aerobatic team from like uh, 97 to 2005. So I'd competed against, uh, you know, a lot of people outside the United States. And one of them became a friend of mine, Peter Bessonnet. He was on the Hungarian team. And we'd done a lot of World Grand Prix and stuff over in China together. And so um, it was right after the 2003 World Championships, I get a call from Peter and he says, hey, man, we're going to do this thing. We're going to call it the Rebel Air Race. You're going to fly down between these gates and all this stuff. And I was like, man, Peter, I go, it sounds really cool. But I said, the day you're talking about doing it in Budapest, you know, and two days later, I start performing at Oshkosh, you know, and I don't want to be all jet lagged and everything. So I appreciate it, but no, thank you. And so then the next day, Red Bull calls me and they're like, hey, you know, we're doing this thing. I go, yeah, Peter told me. I go, it sounds really cool. I'd love to be part of it. I said, but unfortunately, you know, I don't want to be all jet lagged. And anyway, what I didn't know at the time is the way that they'd made the rule is that you were one through 15 in the World Aerobatic Standing or you weren't invited. And for me, I'm sorry, um, for me, uh, you know, I was the only American in there. So Red Bull, basically, they wanted to bill it as a uh, international event. So if I win, it was gonna be an international event. If I didn't go, then it was gonna be a European event. Had I known that, I would have let them call me several times more because every time <laughs> they called me, they offered me more money. And pretty soon I was like, okay, guess what? I'm gonna be jet lagged at Oshkosh, I'll go. And so I got over there and I was like, wow, this is so cool. And I just absolutely loved it. You know, It was the coolest thing ever. So, um, and then, you know, I was the one to help bring it to the United States and stuff too. And so I was basically a part of it from when it started. That's so cool. I remember going to see it when it was in, I think it was the one and only time it ever came to Ireland and it was at the Rocket yeah. Cashel and it was yeah, yeah. rained out of it. But I remember two or three competitors flew and it sticks with me because you guys were disappearing behind the crowd. It was that low. It, it was just such yeah. a phenomenal event. Well, you saw it. A little bit early on when it was first really early on i mean it was wild and, and again they were smart rebel was smart to take you know one through 15 because they wanted you to have a, a lot of experience because you were going to definitely need that experience to draw from because we did a lot of crazy things you know we did the crash and go on the bulls where you'd have to pull up and do something and then 500 feet down the way you're already up at 1200 feet and you've got to touch your landing gear on the bulls and then go back the other way and i mean it was uh it was super fun but, you know, early on, I mean, it's like anything, the way that it started, it was probably a little bit more sketchy and then it gets refined. Of course, it also like Formula One, you start off with a rule book like this and pretty soon it's like this. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And what, when you're when you're cleared into the track, you've got that guy, he's got that super smooth, cool voice. And he comes on and tells yeah. you you're cleared into the track. Turn that smoke on. What's that like for the very first time you do that when you flick the smoke and you're diving at that gate? Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, there's, I mean, I think we had almost 100 races. So for, you know, any given time, I mean, early on, I'm trying to remember you would think that that's what they did or if that was the call that you got. But yeah, I mean, you try to just go into your own world, you know, I mean, people think, they say, are you thinking about this or your God, are you thinking about everything? I'm like, I'm thinking about what is the fastest way to get from this gate to that gate. That's all I'm thinking about. That's all I have time to think about. Things happen so fast out there. And you know, how the wind is affecting me. I mean, you know, how the gates have actually shifted because, you know, a lot of the locations are on water and it's basically a boat and it's tied down. Tide goes in, tide goes out. You know, imagine if you tomorrow with a Formula One guy, hey, next time you go on the track, we actually might shift your track 20 degrees one way or 20 degrees the other way, but yeah, you'll figure it out. 
And that's how it was for us. I mean, it could literally be like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through there now? And um, so that's the way it was, especially early on, you know. And how, how do you find as well, because you guys are pulling, you, you can touch 10G in some of the pull-ups. How, you, you guys don't wear G-suits. So how, how are you finding that? Again, you know, everybody had a back, an aerobatic background. We've been doing this forever. And not only positive Gs, you know, and say an unlimited sequence for me and what I would fly on unlimited, it would be plus 10 and minus eight. Well, we don't do the minus eight in racing. <clears throat> you would go up to 12, but it was also usually, you know, the airplanes corner so fast, you're in and out of the G so quick. And, um, you know, we would get kicked out at 12 Gs and we've been kicked out many times. And it's not like you go, let me see how many Gs I can pull. It's like the only way to make this airplane go from this turn over to that way is to put it on the side and pull on it. And when you pull on it, you're going to put the G on. But fortunately, it turns so quick. And, you know, I've had guys that flew F-16s and they're like, oh, man, that's crazy. You can't pull, you know, 12 Gs. And you're like, yeah, we can. And it's different. It's still the 12 Gs. But like everything is in relation to speed. If you take an F-16 to do a 270-degree turn, probably takes, you know, 30, 35 seconds. I can do that whole thing in six seconds. Wow. So I'm still at a high G, but it's a short duration. And we did have G-suits for a while. They thought that that was going to help us out. And the reality of it was, is mine weighed 21 pounds. It's a bunch of fluid muscles. And when you pull G's, the water goes down, tightens around your body. And that's what a G-suit does. So it was, it's a really cool thing. But the reality of it is, is it really is not helpful till you've gone beyond six or seven seconds. So for us, you know, it didn't really work. It was just like, I remember one time in Malaysia, and it's, it must be a gazillion degrees and a gazillion percent humidity. And we have one little van. I'm sitting behind a red hot engine and I put my G suit on. My body warms it up. It's like I've got an electric blanket. And just thinking, I was so hot. I was just, I can't even think anymore. So we finally convinced them that it was actually more dangerous to wear that G suit than it was not. And so we finally got rid of it. I was happy because we yeah. really had to wear it for about three years. I hated it. So, wow. And it's like you said, it wasn't doing much good if you weren't sustaining uh -huh. the G's. No, it was not at all. And it was very limiting because since it's so tight around everything, you could hardly move in the cockpit too, which was really, you know, we were at, I mean, you're not moving around much, but a little bit, you know, and it's nice to have a little bit of mobility and you just didn't have that with that G suit. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to move on a little bit, Kirby, to, to what you do with the Red Bull Air Force. We had Scott Palmer on um, a couple of months ago and a great yeah. guy chatting away to him. Yeah. And we there's two things that really stick with me that, that you, you yourself have been involved in. One of them was flying through Dallas, uh, getting chased by the police. That was awesome. <laughs> and, you got a lot of phone calls that day, but, you know, it was fun. <laughs> Let's stick with that one for a second. How did that even happen? How do you get permission to do that? Well, you know, that's a cool thing. I mean, we've done so many things like that. I mean, I've landed on the Vegas Strip and all kinds of different stuff. So we have a really good working relationship with the FAA. And so, you know, it's wavered. So they know about it. I mean, they were there. I mean, every time they're always on some FAA monitor there. Uh, the issue that with Dallas was just a little bit is that I don't think the 911 operators got all the word what we were doing. And you know, when I was flying downtown at that Ferris wheel, you know, they keep seeing the airplane going down and, you know, so people get concerned. But, um, yeah, I mean, we were 100%, you know, permission from, you know, all the authorities in order to be able to do that. People have got to be moved away. There's, you know, certain, you know, just like an air show, you got to be 500 feet separated from this and all kinds of stuff. So, but Red Bull is really good about that. And they're able to go out and get that permission and, and go to the authorities and, 
you know, like when I land on the strip, you know, this obviously the street's got to be cleared out. You know, they work with the local police and everything in order to close the road and do all that, just like you would film in a movie. That's so cool. Uh, that, that must be mind blown being able to do that as well. Like I said, you've landed on the, the Vegas Strip. Yeah, I mean, I got, I've flown through a tunnel, a gazillion different bridges, all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, uh, through a building before and all kinds of fun stuff. That's awesome. And the, the other thing that, that stuck with me as well was one that you did recently that Scott was involved on. And I think we chatted from his point of view, but it'd be great to see from your point of view as where the guys jumped over Pilatus Porter and then flew formation with it in their wingsuits while you barrel rolled around the whole formation. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, so we do that at an air show. Actually, I'm leaving for an air show, the uh, Capital City Air Show in Sacramento, California today. It starts for us tomorrow. And it's a cool thing that we do. I, I mean, I love the team, the great bunch of guys. So not only do I get to perform, but I get to perform with them. And they're all super professional. Uh, you know, we got Aaron Fitzgerald with a helicopter. And so we put the helicopter, the airplane, uh, the skydivers. You know, we basically take about a 20-minute block in order to work with everybody. And I get to intermingle with everybody. And it's super fun. And then you got all your buddies there after the show, too. So it's a good time for sure. That's brilliant. And are you given kind of, are you told what to do or are you given what they're going to do and asked, what can you do with it? Can you roll around it? Can you integrate? How does it work? Yeah. So we basically have our training camp at first, you know, of every year. And uh, normally a lot of times we have it here at my house because, you know, I got wayward airspace and nobody's permission and we're all legal and all set. We don't, it's not a big production to just come do it. Um, we did it out in Santa Maria, California this last time around and got some really cool visuals and just something different. I think they were getting tired of just the desert in the background. So they wanted something different, you know, but we did it out there. And while we're there, you know, we talked about, Hey, what about this? And, you know, I try to, you know, I'm a buffoon skydiver. I always say I've got one jump 1200 times. I never learned anything, but I have a lot of fun. So, but, and the guys put up with me and let me jump with them some too, which is super fun. But anyway, so I'll ask them about what their fall rate is and, you know, what their speed. And then we try to just figure out things in order to make it look cool. So when we're at an air show that we can do some stuff that people go, wow, that's neat. You know, I roll around the skydivers. I roll around the helicopter. You know, we got a guy doing the base jump, you know, where he's so close before he's under canopy that you can see his eyes and you're like, oh my gosh. And so what we try to do is take that, you know, 19 or 20 minutes and make it so that nobody even has a chance to look away, you know, that they're afraid they're going to miss something. And we always, you know, our goal is to have something in front of everybody with no dead time at all for that 20 minutes. And we usually accomplish that. And it's by practicing all the time together and then flying shows together all the time. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And out of all the aircraft, because you've, you've flown, I can see some in the background there as well. Uh, for those of you listening, um, Kirby's actually sat in his, in his hangar. Um, but if you, I could hand you the keys to any airplane, blank checkbook, what airplane would you choose? God, that's such a hard, you know, you'd think that I'd given that more thought. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to fly a lot of different airplanes. I don't know, the one that always, I mean, I look back and they just said, here you go. I mean, I don't know, maybe that is the, you know, the Blackbird, the uh, Sur 71, you know, yes. that, that would be pretty cool. I mean, it's been around a long time, you know, and just the way that it looks and stuff would be pretty neat in order to fly something like that and see what it flies like. It'd be awesome. Absolutely awesome. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much fun it would be going to 71,000 feet, though, but it could be good fun. <laughs> yeah, 80,000 plus, you know, you definitely need a space suit up there because above 50,000 feet, your blood will boil, you know, without a pressure suit. So that'd be cool, though. It would be cool. Yeah, because you'd be thankful for the, for the pressure suit then. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to wear it up there, that's for sure. And Kirby, just just a final thing we have for you, because um, I know you're trying to get off, go off to an air show, is um, for student pilots, there seems to be, I know myself from being in aviation and flying and stuff as well, there seems to be a lot of pressure on student pilots to re get, get their goals as quick as possible. Um, what advice would you give to anyone who's getting into aviating or has just started? What, would you say, like, take your time or, or what would you say to them? You know, it's crazy. I mean, so we just, before COVID, we couldn't find enough pilots. And then bang, COVID hits and like, okay, the airlines were getting rid of everybody and all that. And now it's back the other way, just which I thought it would take a few years. Obviously I was wrong. I mean, it was just like, bang, now, you know, they, there's not enough pilots. So, you know, I would encourage somebody to really get after it and, you know, get, get on that road because uh, especially if your, you know, aspirations are to fly for an airline because on the airline, everything is about seniority, you know? So the quicker you get on there, the better off you're going to be. And, um, you know, but as far as just for a career, you know, I always promote any kind of aviation. It's been so good to me. I mean, that's what I've done my whole life. And I mean, I'm so happy that I did choose that, that road. I mean, it's been fantastic. And uh, the people that you meet and just, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, for me, I'm definitely not an eight to five guy. I mean, I don't mind sitting up there in that cockpit and watching the scenery change, you know, about every two minutes and stuff. But um, yeah, I feel very, very fortunate to be able to do what I do and what I love. Kirby, thank you so much for chatting to us today, and I wish you all sure. the best with your air show. Okay, excited about it. Take care, bud. We'll see you. See you later, everybody. Thank, thank you. you very much. Bye -bye.